Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Come with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. Going to read um, a little bit of the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about it. So Exodus 1, we're going to start in verse 8. We're going to read um, a good chunk. We're going to jump over to chapter 6, and then um, we'll get into it. So Exodus 1, starting in verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we come. Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. And so um, Egyptians are, have enslaved the uh, people of God. And then, you know, many of you will know the story. God speaks to a man named Moses and says, hey, you're actually going to deliver all of my people out of Egypt and into a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be amazing. And so God in Exodus chapter 6 tells Moses what to go and tell the Israelites. So in Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 7, should be on the screen behind me. This is what God says to Moses to go and tell the children of Israel. It says, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Verse six, therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Title of my message today is False Freedom. False Freedom. And I want to dig a couple of things out of this story that um, I think really flies in the face of what our culture tries to tell us freedom actually is. So point number one, this is intentionally provocative. You always have a master. You always have a master. And this just makes people in our day and age just manifest and shriek, and we don't like that. Not me, I am my own man, you know, da, da, da. I remember um, 
my, my niece, who just has a really um, dear place in, uh, in my heart. In 2020, her mom, my sister, died. And a lot of you know that we, we took her in for a season. And I just, um, I love my niece. And, um, you know, she came here, actually got saved in our church, gave her life to the Lord. And, and I remember she, she was like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. And she got like three chapters in to the part where it says, where God speaks to Eve and says, um, uh, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And she's like, I'm out. No thanks. And there's just something in this generation that's just like, not me. I am free. I am my own. But the truth is, we are all mastered by something at all times. Always, no matter what. And I, I love what it says in Exodus 6, verse 6. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you. Redeem means to buy, to buy back. You with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. Verse 7, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. So imagine being a slave, and someone comes up to you and says, great news, that's not your master anymore. And you're like, yes, because I bought you. And now I'm your master. Oh, that's what's happening. And it, it hit me as we were doing our, our, the one-year Bible, I, I saw something. That's why I love the word of God. It's like I've read the same things 50,000 times, and then something new will jump out at me every time. And I noticed that it says um, that God tells uh, Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may serve me. And we forget about that part. And we sing that song, Egypt, you know, you stepped into my Egypt, took me by the hand, marched me out in freedom and to the promised land. And it's like, yes, that's true. It's a good song. I'm not judging it. But it's marched me out in freedom, sort of. And that's what God said to the children of Israel. Yes, I am freeing you from the Egyptians, but I am taking you as mine. It's just an exchange of masters. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you have no master. It means there's a change of masters. You, me, every human being always has a master. We always are worshiping something. All the time, always. There was a, a writer that um, uh, actually you know, tragically took his own life at 46, but he, and um, very famous in, in kind of the literature world and just really wrestled with the things of God and just, just couldn't ever get it to kind of, to come to terms quite right. And he said something that I think is, is so profound. He said, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. We always are worshiping something, always. 
The word worship, if you look at the actual etymology where that word comes from, it's worth-ship. That's actually like the old English. The word is not worship, it's worth-ship. And in the same way that friendship means the state of or condition of being a friend, apprenticeship is the state or condition of being an apprentice, worthship is the state or condition of attributing worth to things. That's what worship means. Every single human being has a value system. And it's a, a hierarchy of what they value in a particular order. And whatever is at the top of that value system is what you worship. And it sounds, you know, people think of worship as, you know, like whatever, like lighting incense and whatever, raising your hands and singing songs. And that's, that's not it. Worship is attributing ultimate value to something. And every human being on earth, no matter what faith, if they claim that they're an atheist, whatever, they worship something because something is at the top of that value system. That's what it means to worship. It means what is at the very top of your value system. When we first moved to San Diego, um, you know, I was, I was a bit of a mess and my wife thought that it was a good idea to go to church. Um, I was not into that idea at all. And so there was a season, many of you have heard the story, that Katie would go to church and I would ride my bike to the sports bar. I would drink beer and watch the Dallas Cowboys. Started from the bottom, now we're here. I've come a long way. I've come a very long way. And so, you know, on Sundays, I worshipped the Dallas Cowboys. It wasn't weird. I, don't, I didn't have some you know, poster of Tony Romo and burn candles and little voodoo doll of the Philadelphia Eagles. But that was at the top of my value system on a Sunday. That's what I wanted to do more than anything else. While my, and then literally I would make, I would ride, would ride my bike to the sports bar and then was, you know, half drunk and didn't want to ride my bike home. So my wife would come from church, pick me up at the sports bar, load my bike up on the back and then I would go home. That's where I started. Praise the Lord for the house of transformation. Yes, 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 yes. And yes, as a Dallas Cowboys fan, I am perpetually disappointed. Thank you for asking. It's something I'm working through. It's my thorn in the flesh. I have prayed just as Paul to take it away from me, but he will not. But that's all it is. That's what worship is. It's what do you attribute ultimate value to? That's what it means to worship. And it's really easy to see what you worship and just look at what consumes your time, what consumes your thoughts, and you will know what you value more than anything else. If you are always worried about money, how are we going to make it this month? Hey, I got this bill to pay. This is going to come in. And then when that comes in, I'll do this. And oh man, I you worship money. You worship it. It is your master because it consumes all of your thoughts. If you are constantly wondering what other people are thinking about you and how can I position myself so that people, you know, when I tell a story, they think I'm awesome and you're always, then you worship the approval of man because it is at the very top of your value system. It consumes you. And so my question for you this morning is what do you worship? If you look at my bank account, you will know that I worship two things, God and my wife. That's where all my money goes, to my church and to my wife. That's my value system. The house of God and God is at the very top and my wife and family are second. And you can tell 
because that consumes my thoughts. It consumes my money. Everything I do points towards building God's kingdom and providing for my family. That's my value system. You can see what I worship by what consumes me. And I wanna ask you, what consumes you? Because something does, something does. Every single one of us is owned by something, always, at all times. And you may say, not me. Then you're owned by your own self-reliance. I read this thing and this guy was like, I don't worship any God. I only believe in science. I'm like, okay, well, dummy, then your God is science. Like, really? We are all owned by something at all times. And the Israelites just had an exchange of masters. They weren't marched out into freedom in the sense of I had a master and now I have no master. They exchanged a bad master for a good master. Let my people go so that they may serve me in the wilderness. Point number one, you always have a master. Point number two, freedom is complicated. Freedom is complicated. And it was, it's just interesting. You know, if you look up the definition of freedom, this is what Webster says. The condition or right of being able or allowed to do, say, think, etc., whatever you want to, without being controlled or limited. But we've established that that's impossible. It is impossible to not be controlled, to not be owned by something. The world's definition of freedom is logically incoherent. It is impossible to not be owned by something. I saw one definition that just said freedom is to not be a slave. But we're all a slave to something. All of us, at all times, we're all owned by something. So if that's what the definition that the world wants to give you for freedom, and what the world would say is that freedom is the absence of all restrictions. You can do whatever you want, love whoever you want to love, do whatever you want to do, as long as it makes you happy, you just go live your truth, which is the dumbest thing in the world, makes no sense whatsoever, you go live your truth. That's what the world wants to tell you that freedom is, that it's the absence of all restriction. And actually, the United States Supreme Court has immortalized that cultural perspective in a ruling that I think was back in, in 1992, and I don't even know what the case was about, but it said, the, the Supreme Court said, at the heart of liberty, at the heart of freedom, is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Hear what that says. This is the, the U.S. Supreme Court. It says that freedom is the right for someone to define their own concept of the universe, not the actual concept of the universe, just your own concept of the universe. Think about how dangerous that is. What if my concept of the universe is that the whole thing revolves around me? What if that is my concept of the universe? The entire universe exists to serve me. All of you are here to bring homage to me. Imagine how frustrated you would be every single day. You're on the five. Why are all of these people on my road? 
keeping me from getting where I want to go. This is my road. Cars get out of my way. Why are you in my way? You would be so frustrated. Imagine you go to Chipotle. Why are you taking so long to make my food? You exist to serve me. Why are you making the food of that person in front of me? Don't you know that this universe is about me? You would be frustrated all the time. You would be confused. Why are my subjects not obeying me the way that they're supposed to? Your life will go so badly because you are defining a concept of the universe that is incongruent with the actual universe. And that's what the world wants to tell you that freedom is. Whatever, just love whoever you want to love, do whatever you want to do. It's going to be great. Pursue your own happiness no matter what. And it leads to destruction. It leads to perpetual frustration because you're not living your life in accordance to the way that things actually are. It's like Ariel from The Little Mermaid. She says, I want to be where the people are. She wants to live her truth. That's actually all I know. She wants to live her truth, you know? She's, she's, she's sick of being oppressed by the patriarchy of the sea. And, you know, who do these humans think they are? They get to walk around on their, what do you call them, feet. I know that line. And so, you know, I, I don't even remember how the movie goes. Somehow she gets magical legs and her fins go away. Imagine Flounder, her little sidekick, you know, the little fish. Imagine if he was like, hey, I want to be where the people are. And Ariel's like, okay, little buddy, you're coming with me. And Flounder's like, that's not freedom. That's not freedom to go wherever you want to go. Flounder was not designed to live outside of the water. You can take your Prius off-roading. You can. No one will stop you. I'm telling you, I'm an avid off-roader. I go to the trailhead. It doesn't say no Priuses. There is no force field that when your Prius shows up, the battery just goes pew. You can. You are free to do that. But your Prius will fall apart. You will get about a quarter mile into the trail and have to call somebody for help because that's not what your Prius was designed to do. It was designed to be really quiet and go 20 miles an hour. That's what it's for. <laughs> freedom is not the absence of all restriction. Freedom is understanding the actual principles that govern our universe and living in alignment with those principles so that your life flourishes. And I think of it kind of like, this is probably a bad analogy, but you know in bowling you can have the little bumper things? And like, you can do whatever you want with the bowling ball. You could launch it straight down the middle. You could like put it on the line and just kind of and just watch it slowly roll. You could sling it into the bumper and it'll just boom, 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 boom. And it'll get down there, right? It'll get down there. You get to choose whatever way you want the ball to get down there, but the bumpers keep it from going in the gutter. When you live your principles in accordance with the, when you live your life in accordance with the principles of God, with the laws of God, with the word of God, it's like having bumpers up on your 
bowling lane of life. This is a terrible analogy. I'm sorry. That's really bad. But it's, it's protection. And you can do whatever you want inside the bowling lane. And that's what freedom looks like. God, I, I, I think Pastor Drew Davies one time said, God gives a lot more green lights than he gives red lights. And I've always loved that. There is incredible freedom when you follow God. A lot of times people get crippled by, you know, does God want me to, to you know, quit this job and go start that job? And they just get paralyzed with like the thinking that God's will is just like this balance beam. And if you step off of it, then you're, you know, you're on plan B the rest of your life. And that's not it. God says, whatever, I will bless you either way. There's, you know, times where you have to do things in wisdom, seek counsel, but I have found that there's a lot of times where God just says, it's literally up to you. I will bless you either way. Because there's freedom when you live your life in alignment with the principles of God. And lastly, point number three, as the worship team comes up to join me at some point, no rush. You have to choose a good master. You're going to be mastered by something. You should make it a good one. And there's actually only one good one. And that's what Jesus says to the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There is only one who is good, and that is God the Father. There is only one good master. And I want to read um, a passage out of Romans chapter 6 that Paul writes um, that I think illustrates this perfectly. Don't worry about jumping there in your Bible. Just look at the screen and just listen to these words of the apostle Paul. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. This is it. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. You are now free from your slavery to sin and have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery, like my bowling analogy, to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even uh, ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. I love that. He says, you know, you were free when you were in sin and making bad choices. You were free from doing Rightly, you're free from doing the right things, but you're a slave to your sin. Whatever you obey, you become a slave to. He says, but you exchanged your slavery to your own sin, your own dysfunction. You exchanged that for slavery to God, which leads to a beautiful, fulfilled life. You're always a slave to something. 
choose a good master. Choose a good master. And I love that Paul says, you know, when you were slaves to sin, verse 20, you were free from the obligation to do right. And I love this. And what was the result? I love that. Paul's like, how'd that work out for you? Is that going good? Yeah? Things, things working out the way you thought they would have, huh? huh? And it's just our own dysfunction, our own insecurity, money, power, the approval of man, they make terrible masters. They will let you down every single time. Jesus himself said, you cannot serve two masters. You will either love one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters. And it's interesting because Jesus actually implies you also can't serve zero masters because he says you will either love one and hate the other. You're gonna serve one of them. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve zero masters. You can only serve one. And you should pick a good one. Now, the interesting thing is, and I wanna just give you just kind of some practical um, things to leave with of what this actually looks like. The interesting thing is when you exchange a bad master for a good master, you'll actually find that you'll at times live your life as if your good master is a bad master because that's your experience. That every time you, you, know, you, you put your faith in, in your money or in your own ability or whatever it is, it lets you down. And then you become a believer and you now God is your master. But you'll find that at times you'll treat God as if he is Pharaoh, like he's a bad master. And you, you'll, you'll view when he disciplines you, when he corrects you as, you, you know, you'll just, you'll, you'll hate it. And it's, but it's actually, he's a good master. He's actually teaching you. Anytime God corrects you, you should take heart because what it means is the destiny that I have for you is bigger than who you currently are. And I need you to be a bigger man, a bigger woman, so that you can shoulder all that I have for you. Honestly, whenever, whenever I get corrected, I get disciplined by a leader, by, um, by God, it's, you know, I would be lying if I was like, this is awesome. It sucks in the moment. But then after I have a pity party for a couple minutes, I'm actually so thankful because it means that God is not done with me. It means that there's things in my future that I need to be bigger for, and that makes me excited. My son, um, Zeke, I'm gonna have the guys play a video here in just one second. Zeke, when he was um, little bitty, uh, fell over once and kind of got hurt, and then like, it just sort of like scarred him almost, and he just became for a short season as a little bitty toddler, just like scared of everything. And um, he we would be in the other room and we'd hear this like, you know, shriek of terror and we would run over and he would have like kind of pulled himself up on a chair and got stuck and would just be like, I'm stuck. And literally his feet were this far off of the ground. And we have like, this happened dozens and dozens and dozens of times. We have, I literally was like, Katie, do you think we could find a video? And we found like 30 of them. So I wanted to show you this video of my son and you'll see how a lot of us as Christians act like this all the time. Can you not get down? Oh, no. Do you need help? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a pretty big jump. Whoa. So thank you, Mama. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I love that. She goes, say, thank you, Mama, and he just goes, <coughs> That's mom life right there. But it's just, and it happened all the time. And it was so funny because like 
we were just like, seriously? Like your feet are this far off of the ground. And I think there's so many of us as Christians that we freak out in, in moments where, you know, maybe finances get tight or maybe we had a contract or a promotion we thought we were gonna get and, and the bottom falls out and we're just like, ah! And God's like, bro, your feet are this far off the ground. This far. You have a good father, a good master. He's taking care of you. He's building in you resilience, teaching you how to trust him. The promise of God is not that he will keep you from all of your problems. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's the promise. And that that will be enough. That's all you need doesn't say I will keep you from the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say I will convert the valley of the shadow of death into a meadow of wildflowers that you can frolic about in. It says, though I'm in it, you are with me. And he is a good master. And maybe you're in here as we close and you find, maybe you're in here, number one, and you're, you're a believer. You've actually put your faith in Jesus Christ and said, you are my Lord. I, like this is, I'm all in. But maybe you just find yourself in a season where it just doesn't, like it's just, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I don't feel blessed. I don't feel like, and the, the best way I ever heard it described was God's um, grace and his favor is like a waterfall coming from an infinite source on, on a mountain some, somewhere that, that never ceases, ever, ever, ever. And it just never stops. Just a, a water flow of his mercy, of his favor, of his grace. And if you find yourself not getting wet, it's not that the waterfall has stopped, is that you've moved out from underneath it. And so maybe today you're in here and you're a believer and you need to just actually get back under the waterfall. And so here in a second, I'm gonna pray for you if that's you. I also wanna here in a minute pray for you if you've never actually stepped under the waterfall ever in your life. If you've never actually made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Maybe you have served a million masters. Maybe you've tried self-reliance. Maybe you've tried your own morality, your own good choices. I'm going to be a, an honest person. I'm going to be good. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You ask people, you know, do you, how do you know that you're, if there is a heaven, that you're going to go there? And a lot of people say, well, I'm a, a good person. And, I'm, and it, the, to me, I'm like, compared to what? You know, yeah, you, you're a good person compared to like a serial killer. But that's not the standard. That's not the standard. God says, be holy as I am holy. There's 10 commandments. We don't need 10. It could just be called the one commandment because the very first one, there's not a single one of us, not me, not Pastor Jurgen, not Pastor Leanne, not even Pastor Stacy Capaldi is exempt from failing the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Every single one of us has valued something at some point more than God. And maybe it was a good thing. Maybe it was your kids, maybe your career. Those are great things, gifts from God. But if you make them ultimate, then you worship those things. That's your value system. And to worship anything else but God himself means we fall short. And so maybe that's you in here, in here today and you're just tired of, of just trying to do it your own way. And I'm gonna invite you here in a second to start a relationship with Jesus Christ, to actually leave one master, the master that will let you down every time and actually come under 
a new master that is a good master. And I love that almost all of the Apostle Paul's letters, he starts with Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. That's how Paul announces himself. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, set apart as an apostle for the preaching of the gospel. And before I pray, I'll just close with a quick story. You know, about um, nine months ago, I just um, noticed in my own life just some things I didn't, I didn't like. And in, in the moment, it, it, you know, it was, was not a big deal. It was totally manageable. And, and it was really like I'd come home from work and Katie and I would open a bottle of wine and what was one glass turned into two. And then two would be, you know, we'd have a couple glasses of wine with dinner and then putting the kids to bed, have a beer, whatever. And I just started to notice, I was like, I don't like where this goes. And it was because of the weight and the stress and the responsibility on my life. And the weight and the responsibility has just continued to increase, which is great. Jordan Peterson says that the meaning that will sustain you through life is to be found in the adoption of responsibility. And the more responsibility that you're willing to adopt, the more richly meaningful your life will be. And I found that to be true. But if you do not develop at the same rate as the responsibility increases, it can be dangerous. And I just noticed me beginning to lean into self-medicating and just needing something, just take the edge off and just wind down. And, and I just, I saw where that goes in five years. I was like, I don't like that. And so I, I sat Katie down. I was like, hey, I just, I just need to confess something to you. I'm just, um, I'm just, I see where this is going. And my wife is so amazing. I was like, hey, I love it. Let's just pray and break that off. I actually spent some time and went and saw Dr. Brian Ricewig for um, a few months just to really work through um, what, that, what that was in me. And I realized that I, for a season, exchanged masters. And instead of God being my master, I let my own stress my own worry, my own, like, am I enough? Can I do it? I let that become my master. And maybe you're in here today and you've exchanged masters and it's time to turn your back on the master that will not serve you and surrender your life to the one that will always protect you, provide for you, elevate you. So let's just bow our heads and close our eyes as we close. And I wanna start by just inviting anybody in here that has never actually made God, your master. And here in a second, I'm gonna to count to three. And if that's you, I want you to shoot your hand up because I wanna include you in a prayer. I wanna walk you through a very simple prayer and it's a prayer of belief. In John 3, 16, the most famous Bible verse there ever is, says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's it. It's a, pr a prayer of belief. That's what it looks like to make him your master. It's saying, I believe that you really did die on a cross and you were raised again for me, that I'm no longer a sinner saved by grace, I'm a saint. And if, if that's you in here and you know that you've been serving other masters, maybe it's just your own, you know, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Maybe it's, it's you've tried to put your, your trust in your own morality, in your success, in the approval of coaches, teachers, parents, friends, whatever, and you know that God is saying, hey, you need to leave those masters and surrender your life to me. I want you to shoot your hand up so I can just include you in my closing prayer on the count of three. One, two, three, who are those? Great, see your hand right there, awesome. See that hand right there? See that hand, awesome. See that hand, awesome. Who else? I see that hand, my man, proud of you. Who else? Anybody else need to make that decision today? Right there in the purple, I see you, awesome. Once I see your hand, you can go and put it down. Anybody else, 10 more seconds, need to make that decision to say yes to the only good master. 
Well, come on, can we stand to our feet and give a big round of applause for those that raised their hands? About maybe five or six of you, I'm so proud of you. Come on, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one repents. And here's what we're actually gonna do. I'm not doing this to embarrass you or anything like that. I'm actually gonna ask you here in a second to make your way out of your seat and come down here because what I wanna do is I actually wanna pray with you personally and I can't get to every single one of you. So here in a second, the worship team's gonna just sing and everybody in here is gonna be shouting and clapping for you. But if you did raise your hand, I wanna just ask you to, uh, to, to, to come down here and I wanna shake your hand, tell you how proud I am. Just come on church, can we just say uh, congratulations to every single person that raised their hand. If you raised your hand, would you just come on down? I'm gonna hop down off this stage right now. Come on, can we give it up for him? Let's go, let's go. single one of you, and I want to just, um, and again, I, I think sometimes it can be like, okay, seriously, why do we got to do this? Why do we got to come all the way to the front? And we've found that if you stay where you are, sometimes you're in danger of staying where you are. And there's just something powerful about just saying, uh, taking a public stance and saying, you know, I don't care about what anybody else is thinking. I'm going to do this. And I want to tell every single one of you and encourage you that life's about to get a lot better. Things are about to be different. I gave my life to God years ago, about 15 years ago, and I've never been the same. It's been nothing but um, the things that my wife and I, the life we live, we, we just, we pinch ourselves. Like, I just cannot believe. It doesn't mean that we're not, we're, we're certainly not perfect, don't have trials and things we work through, but we are filled with what an old hymn calls blessed assurance. And that's what you're gonna to receive today. And so what we're gonna do is we're all gonna bow our heads. I'm gonna walk you through a very, very simple prayer. And everybody in the building is gonna pray this alongside with you. We don't want you to feel like you're doing it alone. One of the great things about having God as your father is you get a bunch of amazing brothers and sisters too. So come on church, everybody in the building, loud and proud, can we say these words? Say, dear heavenly father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me today. I turn my back on my sins, on my dysfunction, on my hurts, on my trauma, and I declare that I am a child of God. You are my Father. Heaven is my home. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Come on, one more time. Can we give it up for him? So proud of you. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.